Well, good morning, Spruce Grove Community Church. Isn't it a good day to be in the house of the Lord? Come on, let's give him a clap offering. Hallelujah. If you're visiting with us today, we're so excited you're with us today. This is an unscripted moment. We never have these. <laughs> uh, you know, this morning you could feel the difference, the effect of 21 days of fasting and prayer in the pre-service prayer. Uh, you know, what happens is, is we're breaking through a dullness. What, the warfare over your soul is not to keep you from going to hell because you're already a Christian, but to keep you from being significant by detaching you from the invisible realm. And one of the things that prayer and fasting does, it enables you to hone your senses to know what's important and what's real in moments like this. And I want to just isolate this one thing while we're talking about this because I got a, another sermon later. So, but, but in the most... In the most important moment of his ministry in life, Jesus is in the garden, and he's, he's got his 12 with him, and he challenges them with this, could you not wait with me one hour? And of course, they slumber and they fall asleep in that, mo that most pivotal moment. They cannot endure. There's a wave of darkness. The principalities and powers from across the earth are converging on this moment, and they come under the, uh, this, this cloud of heaviness, and they cannot even keep their eyes open. One of the things that you're developing in prayer, I know there's lots of behaviors that we, 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 of course, we lift up, we challenge us ourselves, we need to do this as Christians, and this and this, but the ability to stand and contend for clarity in the moment of trial when those heavy clouds of darkness are coming is the ultimate proof of your spiritual stature. I mean, this was the thing that they were tested with mostly, and it was the most significant thing Jesus wanted from them, and they could not, they could not deliver. And so our training, there are many facets of it, but this element here is the most critical thing. All right, this, so the next time we do this, make a point. Like this is not, oh, you know, I'm not really the praying type. I'm not, you know, I'm busy, but 21 days, that's a long time. I'm telling you, your future, our future, our capacity to stand in this city, in this province, hinges on that equity that's built during those times. So bless you for the, uh, the efforts that were made, the time spent, it's powerful. The dividends, I believe, we'll not fully understand until we return, we go to heaven, and we look back in time. Just before we go on, I want to pray a prayer. There are people in this room. You know some of the scriptures. You know the word that talks about the kingdom coming without observation. But Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The kingdom is not coming from the ethereal sky. It's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming out of wells. It's coming out of spirits of the redeemed. When you believe in your heart but speak, when you release a groan, when you release a shout, when you release something, 
coming out of your spirit. That's faith. That's desire. That's passion for him. That's the kingdom beginning to flow out of you that nobody else can see. But it starts because you feel it inside of you. So, Father, we pray for everyone who has not felt the current of the kingdom of God flowing through them. And we say, Lord, let it begin to spring up inside. Let it change our constitution. Let it heal our emotions. Let it bring the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of our souls, the renewing of our mind. Lord, we say let spiritual breakthrough, 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 breakthrough for every saint, for every saint. One of the big distinctions between natural wars and spiritual wars is that when combatants come back from an actual war, when the World War II veterans came back and they were missing an eye and they were missing legs and they were deaf and they were burnt and they were scarred, nobody said to them, what's the matter with you? Why can't you walk? Why can't you see? Why are you so deficient? Only in spiritual warfare do we castigate and accuse our most treasured warriors coming back from the front wounded. And that's why the prophets are so maligned and abused because they occupy a place in the midst of the warfare where they take the heat. They take the, the, the force of the battle so that you can live free. And then the thanks they get is when they're acting peculiar and they're broken and they're wounded and they're hurt. We don't cover them. We question their validity because now they're walking with a limp. That's got to turn around. That's got to turn around. This is what honor starts with. When you say honor the fathers and your mothers, it's because, you know what, maybe they're not exactly what you think they ought to be, but you haven't yet been to war, and that war might change you as well. So why don't we cover them? Why don't we value their sacrifice and the way they've laid down our lives, their lives, so that we can have something better? I believe that at the core of the kingdom of God and the family of God is a qualitative atmosphere that flows out of honor. Because the very opposite is an arrogant, entitled, superficial superiority that is blind, arrogant, and which God says he resists out of hand. So, Father, make us a place of healing. Make this house a house of healing so that, Lord, champions, warriors, courageous ones who've been wounded in battle can have a place of rest, a place of refuge, a place where they don't have to worry about daggers being put in their back. This is our prayer, amen? 
I just want to say one thing before I introduce my, my theme this morning, and I don't know how far I'm going to get into this. There's, a, there's always a lot to be said, more to be said than we could possibly say. Uh, Jesus found that too. He didn't, he didn't have enough years, enough days, enough hours, and there weren't enough books to even write the things that he did say. But, you know, there's, there's a different philosophies when it comes to discipleship, and we're here... We're here to not just do evangelism, but we're here to make disciples. It's, it's not about just having uh, bums in seats. It's the quality of that bum. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the things that's happened in the industrial age, we, we've entered a, a period of... Uh, of automation and manufacturing through automation, and it changed the nature of what was required in an employee. And it, it, we went from the era of craftsmen, people who had unique artistic ability, who, who, uh, who created from start to finish works of art, furniture, I mean, there's actual art, you know, paintings and sculptures and all the rest of that. But when, when things were manufactured, it was a small-scale manufacturing. And there was good reason why we went to large-scale manufacturing. But all of a sudden, what happened was that the expectation for what was required in an employee was, you don't have to know much. You really just need a, to be a body you're standing in an assembly line and that thing comes along and you add that little widget to it. You know, like, how much knowledge do you know? It really is, in one way, it is a lowering, a diminishing of the destinies and the potential and the creativity of the individual. Well, I'm sorry to say that we've kind of done the same thing with church. We've kind of done the same thing with discipleship systems where God is actually trying to get us to the place where, where we know his ways. There are, there are voices that are content to fill rooms with people who just watch his deeds. Anybody can see somebody else do something. So we've created a world where one or two unusually gifted people perform before others, and everybody else is like, I don't know what you're talking about. But, you know, I don't need to know, because as long as I'm here and I'm putting my tithe in, and I'm being obedient, and I'm doing the rote things that I know to do, that's as good as it gets. I want to say to you, that's not as good as it gets. That the heart of the apostolic discipleship that Paul represented and the initial church represented was you are, you are born to know the mysteries of God. You are born to understand you are invited into a process whereby you don't just become functionally part of an assembly team, but where you actually comprehend what is being created. 
that you are being elevated to work alongside the master. You are, you are uh, artisans in the making who are developing a capacity and adding a widget to a piece of metal or something that's going in front of you in front of a, you know, eight hours a day sticking a grommet on something. That is not our spiritual equivalent of destiny. There is <laughs> masterful revelation, understanding and knowledge. And I pray right now that a spirit of faith would begin to pull you up out of that quagmire, out of that heaviness, out of that dullness, out of that slumber, out of that, because you are not designed to be ignorant. You are designed to understand. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. This is the promise that we have, that we're, we're meant to be conquerors, sons of God, glorious ones. We're here to taste of the powers of the age to come. We're here to learn how to walk in the manifestation of his presence and be that voice such that when we step into the room, everything changes. We're supposed to carry the glory of God. We're supposed to carry an atmosphere that breaks manipulation and sorcery in our workplaces. That's the power of an enlightened believer. You don't just come with a well, I've got this piece of paper with four spiritual laws, and this is as far as I know. I, uh, there, I know three additional verses besides these. Uh, no, we, we are meant to be navigators, artisans, bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. And so let's lift up our vision. Let's lift up the idea of what we can be and let's not allow ourselves to diminish our own destinies, our own potential, by thinking all we can do, the only thing I'm good for is setting up chairs. Nothing wrong with setting up chairs. Nothing wrong with feeding the poor. Nothing wrong with making a dinner for the unsaved. But I tell you what, we should be data mines for revelation. It's always odd to me when... Uh, People come in and they're not accustomed to the church responding in worship. They're not accustomed to the church spontaneously releasing a shout, a groan, a cry, a prayer, a declaration. I love it. I love it. Hallelujah. There's just, let me say this, there's just not enough generals in the kingdom of God. You know, we can't be satisfied with being a private when God is saying, I've got all these empty thrones. I've got all these empty dominions. I've got all these anointings waiting for a generation, waiting for people to come up to bat. I've got all this stuff and nobody to give it to. So I'm looking for people that begin to believe. Amen? Anyway, that wasn't what I was going to talk on. I want to talk on nudity. What? Yeah. I know that may shock you, but it is a biblical theme. <laughs> but I, I'm not calling it nudity. I'm asking a question. Are you clothed or naked? Are you clothed or naked? 
You know, when you start to think about it, if you know a little bit about the New Testament and the Bible, you're going to realize that, that, that the idea of being clothed and being naked comes up repeatedly in the Scripture. And I want to talk about it from the context of your discipleship journey, that there's something that God's doing in you. And, uh, and I want to give you a little bit of a sense here of where I'm going. I want to talk the or, about the order of this thing. Are you ready for it? All right. Get ready because you have to be naked before you're going to be clothed. What it means is the process of God is, is, is he needs to strip you down and wash you before he clothes you. That's the process. That's the, that's the order of things. Can you say amen? Oh, God, I love to be naked in public. Anybody ever had a dream where you're naked in public? <laughs> a lot of people nodding. It's the worst, isn't it? It's like, how did I even get here? Like, yeah, I'm in the public square, and I'm just being alerted now to the, to the idea that I have no clothes on. It is the most awkward. It is the most humiliating. It is the, the worst thing, because in that moment, all you want to do is you want to find something to cover you. <laughs> so we hate the stripping part. But the stripping part references things that God needs to do. I'm always uh, interested in some of the patterns in Scripture and places where the patterns of what God does are, are hidden sometimes in obscure texts. And so I, I love it. I think it was Jeremiah, where the, when the Lord called Jeremiah, he says, hey, this is what I'm calling you to do. And he gives him six Definition, six things that he as the prophet of, to the nations is going to, going to do. And four of them involve diminishing, stripping, breaking, tearing down. And two of them involving restoration. So I feel that that probably reflects the amount of time that are being given to these different things. I, I think it's a lot harder to get people to release their dirty clothing than it is to put new clothing on them. It's a lot harder to get you to abandon stinking thinking than it is to impart to you other thinking. See, God can't fill a cup that's already full. He's got to empty it first. And it's the emptying that's the hard part because we don't seem to share his loathing for the things that are in our cup. <laughs> what's wrong with this? Right? I mean, what's wrong with this shirt? What's wrong with these clothes? You know, you wives who are constantly vexed by the fact that your husbands have no sense of style, no sense of fashion. You're always having to inform them, you can't wear that to this. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's God. I mean, maybe not in your wife's, but in my wife's life, it is God. Sometimes in the general spiritual walk of our life, it's kind of like that. God is saying, you can't wear this, and we're, we're arguing with God. It's okay to think this. This is not bad. There's something redemptive in this. You know, my reluctance was always, I like, I have sentimental attachment to old, old clothes. And so, so when, when Wendy wants to throw it out, I'm like, well, no, it's, it's still got some life in it. 
And you've probably heard of some of the stories when I was just married and my wife was trying to get rid of all my checkered flannel shirts. Well, little did she know that they were going to come back. <laughs> right, Steve Holmstrom? <laughs> but, but no, in all seriousness, there is a very critical, important process whereby we are being stripped in order to be clothed. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to jump through a few scriptures here just to, you know, in case you're not that biblically literate, I'm just going to give you a sense of how often this theme comes up and then I'm going to dial down on what the significance of this is for us. Does that sound all right? Can we do that? All right, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 2 and 3, it says, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. So there, the, the apostle, now there's a very specific thing he's looking for here and he's talking about, and, it's, and we may delve into some of it, but it's this contrast this between the idea of being clothed and being naked. That God doesn't want you to be naked. And we should share that sentiment. Right? Yeah, I don't want to be naked either. Hebrews 4.13, listen to this. And the context of this is just magnificent, so hopefully we'll get, get some of that clarity. But it says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, there we go, naked again. Revelations 3.17 and 18, in this passage we get a real clear, very, very clear articulation of the significance of nakedness versus being clothed from Jesus himself speaking to of all groups the church. Not unsaved people, but believers. His, in fact, his most, well, some of his most significant representatives on the earth, he's giving warnings. This is what he says. It says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. I tell you, I can't even, I, I couldn't even do it justice. But the elements of, the, of these words play out so perfectly in this dynamic that we're going to try to explore this morning. But the idea, the, the uh, op opposing ideas juxtapositioned against one another of naked and clothed are critical to your journey. And uh, there is an inbuilt resistance. We like our existing clothes. We like how we think. We like how we act. We, we, are, we like what's familiar to us. And so we are not inclined to abandon things. And so we remain as we are. And this is what he was saying. He said, listen, you guys, first of all, there's deception. You actually don't know your condition, right? You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Really? How could you be that and think you're not? That's a state of being that you have to be awoken to. 
That's why in Hebrews, when, when the Hebrew writer is challenging believers who, I mean, again, they're believers, he said, by this time, you should be further ahead in your journey, but you're dull, and I can't even talk to you about anything more than basics. I'm, I, I'm hoping a side side product here, a side commodity that's being generated is a deep, deep desire. Oh God, I don't want that. Oh God, I don't want to fall into that category. You know, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about being born again, and Nicodemus was like, well, how can this happen? Can a man be born again? You know, can he return to his mother's womb? Do you know what Jesus said after that interchange? He said, man, uh, how can I talk to you about heavenly things when you can't even understand earthly things? What, that was an earthly thing? Yeah. So the question is, how many things are there to be known that we can be informed about but are not because we're just leery of things we don't understand? We're suspicious, we're guarded, we're hidden, and we prefer what we have now. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for an eruption of deep desire. An eruption of deep desire, Lord, that everything within us will we'll long to be clothed, long to be clothed in a way that only you can clothe us, God. Father, may we be willing to pay whatever price, suffer whatever indignity is required to remove and lose the soiled clothing that you want to take from us. Revelation sixteen fifteen, the final one I'm going to just familiarize yourself with is this behold I am coming as a thief blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame oh the inference there is you can have a, a garment and lose it I, I, I don't want you to lose your garment wow I didn't think you know, here I was all confident. Well, let me just begin. My first landing point is to say this. Nakedness is not the worst thing. <laughs> all right? Those dreams, you know, and you feel all embarrassed and ashamed and all humiliated and everything. The worst thing, according to the Bible, is not to be found naked, though that's not great. We're not going to stop there. That's an intermediary point right, between being naked and clothed, but to be stuck in your old clothing, having the wrong garment on, having soiled garments is the, the, the bottom level position. So we, we don't wanna be stuck there. And if it means that to go from here to be clothed with white garments means I have to be naked, well then so be it. I'm gonna have to be naked. And what is it actually referring to? No, we're not, we're not gonna do what sometimes, I've heard these stories occasionally. Remember a friend of mine, he was, they were having a conference in Kelowna, and all of a sudden in the middle of this high point of worship, this guy starts running across completely naked. <laughs> and yeah, right in the worship service. And, 
And uh, he got tackled and taken out by the ushers, but they're asking her, like, what were you thinking? He said, I don't know, I just felt so free. <laughs> okay, so we're, that's not what we're looking for. I'm glad you feel free. I'm glad the presence of God does not make you self-conscious and feel judged. Hallelujah. <laughs> but that's not the kind of nakedness we're looking for this morning. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> no, what we're looking for is a stripping that happens because of the word of God, the penetrating light of God's presence. You see, the reason why the church in Revelations was unaware that they were in a certain condition, even though it should have been obvious to them, is that they could not see. It means there's a level of deception, there's a level of blindness, there's, there's, there's an ignorance there that, that makes themselves satisfied. And the desire of God, and my desire for you, is that when the day comes, comes and we have to stand before the Lord and the Bible says everything will become clear. That means everything you argued with your wife about, you'll find out who was right. Everything you disagreed with in terms of doctrine, you're gonna find out who is right. I mean, everything that you defended that was evil, you're gonna, you're gonna re realize what, what was right. But you know what, you don't have to wait till then. This is part of the secret that God wants to give to you. I wanna give you what I know, but you're so resistant. You're, 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 you're so reluctant, and that's, we are. And God is saying, the door is open. So Father, create a people who are absolutely hungry. We wanna be in that company, don't we? All right, so nakedness is not nearly the worst part of your condition. But at the end of the day, the actual question is, how are you clothed? In Zechariah chapter three, I'm gonna read this story. It's, uh, it's happening in a prophetic vision. Zechariah is releasing something prophetically. But, but we need to realize this, and hopefully it become clear, that how you're clothed determines the rooms you access. We're gonna see the pattern in the kingdom of God that what you're clothed with determines where you're allowed to be. I mean, it's not that heaven is just one of these restaurants where, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service, but it is. <laughs> it's just not any shirt will do. So it says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing, and the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord, oh no, yeah, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a, a brand plucked from the fire? He's talking about Joshua. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. Yeah, that's not good. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. Now, just in case you're not sure, that's a euphemism for unclothe him. Now, you know, we don't have to argue about, okay, did, did he have any underwear on? 
Right, you know, that's the same question people when Jesus was stripped and hung on the cross naked. You know, did, I mean, was that completely without clothes or mostly without clothes? It doesn't matter. It's, it's an ignoble state. It is a less than dignified position. And what, what God is saying to us is this, and this is the prerequisite for being clothed, it means you have to endure the discomfort of being partially clothed. You have to, do, you have to feel naked before you're willing to be clothed. That's a necessary step, an essential step along the way. But there's something in us that will quickly grab anything and then pretend like everything's good. Remember the story, the emperor has no clothes? Sometimes we're that emperor. But listen to this here. It says, and he, and to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. Now, let me pause for a second because right away the religious mind says, well, you know, I'm born again. I'm saved. So therefore, automatically, I have the right garments. I am therefore clothed appropriately because I know that I'm saved. Well, according to Revelations 3, when Jesus is talking to the churches, is not so all the time. And so let's not get into that religious mindset. Well, you know, I, 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 my pastor told me I'm safe. I, I, years ago, I said that prayer and I'm, I'm good. I'm, you know, don't make me fearful. I'm not here to make you fearful. You should be fearful. You should fear the Lord. You should want to please him. You should want everything about your journey, everything about the knowledge that you're acquiring to be the right kind of stuff. Because the day is going to come where we're all going to stand and everything will be clear. Oh, God, give it to me now. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. Does that mean we have to start wearing turbans? And they put on, we're not going to answer that, but. And they put on, I put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. But here's a powerful thing. Listen to this. And then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you walk in my ways, and if you keep my commandment, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. You know what that's about? That's about spiritual access. That, that's what that's about. He said, listen, if you let me do this in your life, and this is the promise that God is saying, saying to us, if you let me come to you, if you let me come to, to you with the word that strips the way you think in order to give you something better, it's not only going to give you something better to wear, but it's going to give you access. It's going to give you an authority to walk in what he's commanded. It's going to give you an authority to judge his house. It's going to give you an authority to be in charge in his courts, and you'll be able to stand in the midst of heavenly beings. Well, I'd like some of that. I mean, we love to quote scriptures, right? Just kind of ad hoc. You know, well, we're seated in heavenly places. Well, let me just say, every promise is contingent on fulfillment. 
And we're not all the same. So a lot of these scriptures, when Paul is talking about who we are, he's talking about an elevated, accomplished, fulfilled, mature individual that because of the maturity, they're able to access these things. Everything that seems to be promised to you is elusive until you fulfill the requirements that will permit you to walk in it. That's how the kingdom works. Again, you know, if we read our Bibles, we'd realize that. Okay, the value of being clothed. Revelation 3, I'm going to break this down just a little bit more, and then I'm going to go to Matthew 22, and we're going to try and wrap up right away. He says, Revelation 3, the context of some of these things is, is this right here. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant with me to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Now the context of this is, is Revelations 3. It's where he's talking to the churches. Say, listen, you don't know that you're blind, you're naked. And, and, and because, why don't you know? Why are you still blind and naked? Why are you deceived? Why are you walking below what you should as a son of God? Because you're not letting me chasten you. You're not letting me strip you. That's the essential problem. There's an insecurity in us. An insecurity that as though we're competing with the rest of the world as to how to be the best Christian. Nobody does that, do they? <laughs> no, never. There's an insecurity. We feel unapproved. We feel like we're on the, on the danger of being excluded. And so this panic sets in. Have you ever seen an animal that's cornered? The, the, the panic that, the rage, the... You know, like just they'll scurry around like crazy. Try to corner a scared cat or a muskrat or something. That's us. And we have a loving father who's saying, I love you. Just stand still while I strip you. I love you so much. Oh, the things I could do with you if you just stand still. Oh, how I could change you if you just let me discipline you. If you just let me rebuke you, if you just, I, when I rebuke you, I'm not condemning you. You're already condemned. I'm trying to shift you into a place where you don't feel that condemnation anymore. But it begins with a basic trust of my voice, a basic trust of my truth, that when I come in and it feels like I'm undressing you, this is not to expose the shame of your nakedness. And that tyranny comes from your enemy and the enemy of your soul. But there's a peace that comes to the sons of God who have heard his voice, who, who really in their heart of hearts say, okay, God, I'm, I'm believing you. You know, sometimes when we're surrounded by competition and judgmental voices, we just want to do everything to make sure there's nothing at all that can be accused about us. And so when we come into a moment when God is trying to correct something, we interpret it as the accusation. We think, I don't want to be made naked by an accusation that uncovers me and finds fault with me. And the Lord said, no, that's not me. 
That's not what I'm doing. This is the polar opposite. So the question is how deep is that conviction? How safe do we feel in his love that he can come in and take those dirty garments away from us? The truth is you don't know. We think we know. But I can guarantee you this, there's always a higher level of comfort. I dare say we're probably partially stripped and partially clothed. Now, there's so much more to this that I, I just can't even share, but let me finish by talking about Matthew 22. It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them and uh, treated them and spitefully and spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with his guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. I always thought, you know, well, how did he get in? You know, obviously, he came with some kind of haste and lack of readiness. Maybe he didn't know filthy garments weren't allowed. Maybe they met him at the door and they said, you know, we have better garments for you, but he insisted his were fine. I don't know what the backdrop is, but it says the man was speechless. And then the king said to his servants, bind his hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called and few are chosen. Now this, is, this is where I want to land, right here. Many are called, but few are chosen. Everybody in this room is called. I mean, the Lord Jesus died for every single man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. Many are called, but few are chosen. That means there's a preparation. What this signifies, and we don't know all the nuances of this, but for sure there's this element that can't be denied. There is a preparation for us to stand in the wedding feast. There is a preparation for our journey, and the Lord, the Father of us, longs to clothe us in white garments. His greatest desire is that we would not be unqualified, not be undistinct, distinguished, indistinguished, but that we enjoy everything that he's given. Father, Father, we pray today. In just a second, we're going to.
Casey's going to come up and lead us in the Lord's Supper, but Father, we want to say, Lord, ignite a new zeal. Ignite a comfort with the, the tip of your sword, your light of truth, your faith-building commodity that before it does anything, it makes us naked. Listen, the word of God, before it does anything, it makes you naked, it strips, it illuminates, it, 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 it reveals your condition in order that you be clothed. So Father, we say, help us not be those animals that instinctively run and hide and respond with insanity when you begin to try to fix us. Can you say amen? This is our destiny.